Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Uh, joining me on this episode is Micah Current. Again, I don't have to introduce you because you've been on almost every single one of my episodes this year. So, Micah, welcome aboard again. When did we start that? Uh, probably sometime in March, because I know in January I started doing some stuff. The deconstruction and then I the, stuff? Yeah, I did, I, did, I did the deconstruction stuff fall of last year. Got and it. then we had a couple reunions. I had a couple episodes with Phil as we were talking about more since Phil was a Church of God guy, and then he ended up uh, becoming Catholic. So it was good having that, like, you know, Protestant Catholic conversations. What's um, going on with these Church of God guys? Just, you know. I don't know. I found out another one of my friends in Virginia who he, he resigned from his church this week. Mm. So it's like, I, know. But, but it's I guess I meant church. like, yeah, yeah. But I guess what I meant by that is that you said your friend was Church of God and then he was Catholic. You're yeah. Church of God and now you're working in a Methodist church. But I'm still, I'm, church church of, of, I'm still Church of God. I'm just working in a Methodist church. I'm Church of God. I'm working in a Nazarene church. Like, what, what's going on with the Church of God? But anyway, I tell you what, it's Ministry Connector. Ministry Connector screwed a lot of us, or at least for hey, me. I felt like we have, I had to we find have a Atlas job now. Ministry Connector wasn't working for me. It kept breaking down and no one was helping me. So I had to go through church, you know, church staffing and just but, church. But Scott, jobs. we have Atlas now. Yeah, but for almost two years when it wasn't working, I kept saying, hey, my thing's not working. They're like, oh, uh, we'll look at, I'll send it to IT. We'll get back to you. Funny enough, Scott, since they've switched to Atlas, I've had three or four churches reach out to me about pastoral positions, church of positions, um, their lead pastor positions, which I've have never really felt a call or had an interest in doing that. But um, and two, I'm not one church reached out to me and, and like if God calls you somewhere, then, you know, go. Right. But like this one church <laughs> reached out to me and they were in the middle of Kansas, literally in the middle of Kansas. And they they sent me this long email describing the city they were in or the village or whatever you want to call it and the church and the location. They said that the closest Walmart Scott was 60 miles away. Then that was the closest grocery store. Jeez. Yeah. I think, I think I'll take my chances here in Southwest Ohio. Yeah. But anyway. All uh, right. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so before we jump into our topic today, uh, anything weird, any weird experiences you've had this week? So many. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I recorded this podcast last night with Jordan Holstead and, and Scott Stedman and, you know, got kind of out of hand. Yeah, that, with, uh... that podcast was weird. Like, I don't know what was... I, I want to know if it was just because... We're, okay, so just for context, everybody, uh, we do. Me and Mike are part of a, a Nerd Talk podcast called Nerd Talk with Jordan Hall. Said you can look it up on anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we talk about nerd culture. So, Marvel, Star Wars, DC comics, um, video games, you name it, we talk about it. Um, and we almost like two months ago, we were planning on doing a Ms. Marvel one because the final episode just aired. And I think sometime next week we we're going to record next two weeks. We record Ms. Marvel. It didn't happen. And then Jordan had some church stuff and some personal stuff happen with deaths in the church and family. So he couldn't do it. So literally two months later, we're now recording this Ms. Marvel episode. And it just felt like a half the time it's like I'm explaining stuff, but then like certain like details, it's like, well, I don't remember. It's been two months ago. So a lot of times me, I was making, 
I made so many obscure references. Like I mentioned the blob. I mentioned that. It's Which is like funny, Scott, because you, I thought that you were super excited about Miss Marvel. And I mean, you were, I, I was, I mean, I, I still like the show. I mean, I even said at the beginning, you know, the reason I said Miss Marvel's probably like one of my top three. Uh, I feel like you have more to say though. And you got really off on these tangents and I'm like, I want to hear more of Scott's. But I feel like, but I felt like the, I felt like I could have went more, but I felt like I was confined to the questions because I didn't want to get to the point where I rambled too much. But then I did, and I rambled about incoherent stuff like the blob and chewing gum and and the blue beanie and the bangles. <laughs> this is why we don't record late at night because at this time I'm exhausted from moving and my mind's just like. My filter's completely gone at that point, so who knows what would be coming out of my mouth next. <laughs> and you, and like, you know Jordan. Jordan wants to, like, you know, ring it in, and uh, you just kept going, and I think you were... <laughs> Yeah, let's ring it in, and I'll, I'll ring it in, and then I just, like, <laughs> It's like a rancher, like you're trying to get the uh, the herd back into the fence, and all of a sudden you got that straight cow that runs away. I'm that straight cow. Yeah. So I guess that's the weirdest thing that happened to both of us was doing that Ms. Marvel podcast, which when it drops, we'll let you guys know so you can listen to it because it definitely is a it's definitely high quality entertainment. If it if it was in reference to church stuff, like I uh, you and I are both in this transition phase right before yeah. we you know jump in our new ministry uh, positions. But like the last two weeks I've been off and I couldn't tell you the last time I was off on a Sunday. And it's just the weirdest feeling to have your weekend oh, yeah. back. Yeah, so, it, and I, it felt like that, too, because I felt like even when I resigned, there was a time where, you know, we're trying to look for churches. And there's time I was doing some consulting because some pastor buddies in the area were like, hey, can you come and do like a first time visitor assessment? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. But then it's like, you know, having that freedom, like, do I go to church this Sunday or do I take it's nice weather? Do I take my kids out to King's Dominion and we ride roller coasters and have fun? And mm-hmm. I could do that. And just having that freedom that it didn't have to be at church on Sunday was kind of interesting, but also kind of like stressful too. It's like, I should be in church because that's pretty much been my life for so many years of just being in church every Sunday, especially once I got ordained and got my, and started doing ministry. It's like every Sunday I was in church. It was almost like 2020 again. Yeah, it was. It was just like, oh, this is weird. Like, I don't know what to do. At least in 2020, I felt like I knew what to do because I'm like, okay, we're doing a digital service. Here's how we do it. And and we're going to go from there. I'm going to do this. And, you know, I at least I felt like I had better. I felt like I had more direction when COVID hit on how to lead the church through a pandemic than I did when it's like, okay, I don't have to go to church today. Am I okay with this? I think I am, but I'm not sure. So, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So, the topic we're going to be discussing today has to do with worship. I know a couple of uh, times this year we've mentioned worship. We talk about worship, but this one's more particular. There is an article that dropped, and let me pull it up. There's an article that dropped sometime, I want to say it was probably, yeah, it was just this past Friday. And basically there is a whistleblower who worked in the financial part of Hillsong Church and basically, there's a lawsuit because they claim that they were fired unjustly because they were exposing some of the fraudulent things that Hillsong was doing with their budget. 
Um, so what does this have to do with worship? Because it sounds like more like an accounting problem uh, than than necessarily a music problem. Um, but there's one thing uh, down at the bottom, and I was reading through this, and this is what it says. It says that uh, Moses, this is the lady whose word for Hill song got fired. Um, she also alleged artists who were classified as pastors, and that's in quotation marks, uh, were receiving half their salaries tax-free while also earning millions of dollars in royalties from the sale of music. And it goes on to say that, you know, that's kind of misleading because I guess it depends on your definition of pastor. If you are ordained, if you go through, like, at least for me, if you're a pastor, that usually means you feel the call from God to be a pastor. You went through an ordination process or you're at least kind of like the lead. So like, you know, Micah, since you do worship leading, even if you weren't ordained, if you're hired to be the worship leader or the worship pastor for a church, then you would have that title as pastor or leader because that would be in your job description. But I think what Moses is kind of declaring is that you could have like your backup singers or your drummer or your guitar player be labeled as a pastor and then kind of get the the tax write-offs and benefits of what that entails. Um, so there is that article. And then a mutual friend of ours, I guess I guess we'd say mutual friend. At least I probably know him a lot better than you know him better than I do. Yeah, I know him better than I know Mike his. Does. I know his dad really well. Okay, but he kind of went on this tangent of saying, you know, this is why we shouldn't be playing Hillsong or Bethel or any of these big mega churches um, songs or music because all we're doing is not only are we fueling bad theology, but we're also fueling. We're also throwing money at something so that this people can get rich and people can do all these things and mislead other people on where the money's going and blah, blah, blah. So basically we're, we're enabling a toxic church culture when we pay our royalty fee for through the CCLI, when we do play like a Hillsong or Bethel song. Um, so with all that kind of, a little snapshot of background and context, I guess the question is, is, is it wrong for us to be playing music from churches that may possibly either have a bad theology or have bad business practices? And are we enabling them? <laughs> so Micah, what do you think? Or is that a question we really have to ponder on a little bit? No, I, I, I have, I guess a question first is: Is okay. this person our mutual friend? Is he a pastor, or is he ordained anywhere? He's—I believe he's a pastor, and I believe he's not ordained in the Church of God. I think he's actually ordained through—I know—I think it's through a Baptist organization. Okay, I'm not um, sure if it's SBC or a different type of Baptist organization, but definitely Baptist. Okay, so a couple of things. When we did the Hillsong series, when Hillsong Exposed, the, the documentary came out and they talked about how they handled their finances and how they handled, um, you know, different things within their church. I feel like even to this day that Hillsong worship very much kept themselves separate from mm -hmm. the church, right? Like they were a part of the church, but when all the scandals broke, they separated themselves. They were still making mm -hmm. music. They were still doing conferences. The college was still a thing. Um, yeah. You know, 
I'm sure there are scandals mm-hmm. in every single church that we don't know about. Um, in reference to worship stuff, I've, I've had this conversation over the years, but like, it's really baffling to me that if, why is that rubbing people the wrong way? It, it almost feels like it's rubbing people the wrong way because they're, um, they're not the big church making all that money. They're not the church that's being successful. They're not the church that's bringing thousands and thousands of people to their churches every weekend. And as a result, it just feels like they have a bitter taste in their mouth. Now, if that's the case, that's a hard issue. That's not, that has nothing to do with finances or making money or, um, you know, doing other things that um, reflect the mission and the ministry of their church. Um, You know, during 2020, Elevation Church came out with the Graves in the Gardens album, and that album was just phenomenal from start to finish. And Graves in the Gardens was played in every church across the world for, you know, six months. And um, sure, they make a profit off of it, but it's it's no different than, Scott, if you and I started a, a rock and roll band and we went out and got a record deal and we made money off of the music we were writing. Um you know, I, I would be interested to see the numbers uh, in respect to how much money people actually make from those things. You know, like, uh, I don't know if you've read or done any research on this, but like artists that, you know, put their music on streaming platforms, they make pennies compared to like when they sold physical copies of records and cassette tapes and, and, and you know, things, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, but yeah, is it a hard issue? Um, is it because they're not, you know, content with... Um, their church not being the mega church, their church not being super successful, their church, or are they stuck in their ways? Are they stuck in the tradition of, oh, we got to sing hymns? And um, again, I would just point to the direction that's a hard issue. That's not, um, oh, we can't sing Hillsong or we can't sing Elevation. That's that's a hard issue because they're, excuse me, they're um, they're more concerned about what other churches are doing and what other yeah. You know, why are you worried about that when you can just do, you know, if we're all kingdom minded, why, why aren't you worrying, you know, worried about your church and your ministry and worried about others and pointing the finger and pointing the blame game? What do you think about all this? Yeah. So I think there's a couple things. So I, I think, could talk forever but, yeah. about it. But yeah. So, I mean, as far as let's, let's look at the financial side, like this is the thing that I think is interesting. So, for an example, like if you look at like elevation music, and you look at like, okay, because usually a lot of times for those of you who may not understand, like, because I had to always do the CCLI reporting mm-hmm. uh, for our church. So, you know, occasionally the CCLI, which is a Christian's license. So if you want to play any type of like current or modern song in your church, that's not part of the public domain, you have to have a license to be able to do that. So the fact that if I want to play like Graves in the Gardens, I have to have a license. So then, and occasionally CCLI will say, okay, within this gap, you now have to report what songs you're playing. So then that gives them a better idea of distributing the royalties to these different artists or churches um, and make sure they get their, you know, their pennies or their dollars of how, of each song that each of these churches are playing. Well, now you have to have a streaming license because everybody's streaming stuff. Yeah. And then streaming too and everything else. So. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it, so I'm not familiar with that side. But one of the things I noticed is that, like, when you look at, like, a song like Graves in the Gardens, you may see, like, the names of each person who had contributed to that song, okay? 
So for an example, like Reckless Love, there's only going to be one name on Reckless Love, and that's going to be Corey As Asby. Asbury. Who, Asbury, sorry. Corey yep. Asbury, no who wrote that song. But when you look at an elevation, there's like a Brandon Lake. There's a bunch of names on there. But I always funny enough, Stephen Furtick, his name is literally on every song that and that's what I'm gonna get to. Okay, go ahead. Furtick's name is on every single song. Now I don't think he's in the writing room writing these songs, but I do think he's on there to get royalties. Mm-hmm. And because you know it's the elevation <laughs> band, it's the elevation. Stephen Furtick is the Bill Bill Gaither of the 2000s. <laughs> Yeah. So I think with that, so I think with that, like, you know, and I'm not going to sit there and poo poo on is Stephen Furtick actually writing these songs or contributing to these songs or whatnot. But let's say if he isn't, let's just say he has his name on there because he's the lead pastor. He's the founder of Elevation Church. So his name gets it. So he gets a little piece of the pie. Is that being misleading? Is that being and I mean, and I guess, you know, depending on who you are, I, I guess it goes, what does the law say? And what does tax law say if that's being false or not? Um, at the same time, when it comes to music, for me personally, I don't think it's when I listen, if I'm going to choose to play like a Graves in the Garden, because I have done that song before. I picked that song because it fit with a sermon series I was doing. And I can remember a 78-year-old woman comes up to me at the end of service and says, Pastor Scott, I really love your sermon, but I really loved that closing song that we did, which was Graves in the Garden. Now, this is a 78-year-old woman mm-hmm. who enjoyed an Elevation song and said that it really impacted her in a way. And I think, you know, I mean, granted, there's songs out there that, I think has the theology as thin as a piece of paper. Like it's not very deep. And I can say that about, you know, I can say that about some Bethel songs. I could say that about some elevation songs. I could also say that about some hymns too. I can even say that about some Southern gospel songs as well. And I, um, and I won't get down to the specifics, but there's some songs even within a traditional songbook that when you go through the songs, you're just like, this is like, how's this even a worship song? It seems like it's more of a song that someone wrote to their lover and they just changed the name to Jesus instead of Janet. Like, which reminds me of a South Park episode when they did that years ago. So I'm not going to jump into that. Never dream that you bring up South Park. <laughs> I just and, it's er- <laughs> and it's early in the morning, Scott. It is. It is. I'm still, I'm still. I'm still have fumes from the Ms. Marvel episode yesterday. Um, So at the, so at the end of the day, I think it goes back to a, we shouldn't be lumping all these churches together. Yeah. um, Not elevation. I'm sorry. Hillsong has its issues. It's publicly documented. They did a docu-series on it. Uh, We clearly see, I mean, even same thing, Mars Hill, Mars Hill, it has their history. There's a whole podcast series on everything that happened with Mars Hill out in Seattle. At the same time, there were some bands because Mars Hill's music department was they wanted to do something that was different than what was like the Maranatha praise band and all the other stuff that was happening at the time. So they kind of have like more professional bands. So, but when Hillsong, but out of Hillsong, you had bands like um, Citizens. You've had bands like King's Kaleidoscope. 
that are still making music that when I listen to their music, I'm like, this is really good worshipful music. You can still like, if you want to, you could get a license from CCLI to play that music. And again, they're not connected with a brand anymore, but I wouldn't want to say like, oh, if I go and I play a song from King's Kaleidoscope, I'm funding a potentially bad theology because they came out of a Mars Hill, even though they've publicly said, you know, we don't associate with Mark Driscoll and that anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think just, uh, to clearly put my thoughts into just one simple phrase, I think it's just if you're as a worship leader, if you're playing music and that's something where you feel like that is a conviction for you and you don't want to play that song that you don't have to there is a whole songbook there's other churches like i think there's like saddleback worship there's like planet shakers gateway church gateway church there's a lot of different things out there that you can pick and choose to use like c3 music there's a lot of different things that you can use as worship and you don't have to use the big Bethel or the Hill song or the Elevation songs if you don't agree with their theology. And I think if you're convicted with that, but I also would say don't go and kind of be like the soothsayer of like making these big proclamations that no church should ever play this music because it's bad. Because frankly, I don't think so. I mean, and 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 I I mean I know I'm long-winded, but I mean I'll give an example. We did a state youth convention in March, and we've always had a professional band that come in, Alan Scott band. They'd always do a good job. They play their own stuff. They also played some other stuff. They played like all sons and daughters music. They played Hillsong. They played all that. And I felt like when they would play, because they're more of a rock band and they did more like rock worship. There really wasn't much of a response from the audience. Like, really, all the kids would stand there. They look at them. It's like deer in the headlights half the time. I'm like, okay. And then this past year, it was me and like a couple of my friends got together. We just said, hey, we are all from different states. Let's join together. Let's put on a worship thing, save money for our state youth convention, do that. And we played um, No Longer Slaves. We played Christ Be Magnified. We've played um, How Great Is Our God. Like, we went all the way back to Chris Tomlin. I mean, we've played, we even played um, Maverick City music. We played a bunch of different stuff. And just the way it was done and just the way with the theme and the way uh, Michael went and picked the music and the way we played it, I mean, there were people who had their hands up. There were people who were praying. And it was just like, I think it was just because it wasn't like, hey, let's go and have a rock show. It was like, hey, this is a meaningful worship experience. And here's the theme. Here's the stuff we're talking about. Here's the songs we're going to pick that kind of help move us, you know, have these movements from worship to the message to the conclusion. And just kind of, and I think when we did it that way, everybody responded from the teens to even the youth workers, regardless if they were in their 30s or they're in their 70s everybody responded to it because the way it was designed yeah um there's a lot there's a lot there um yeah, yeah. i think well because i originally I, I think i remember you reaching out to me about possibly coming to virginia to do that and then you said it was just, just so much more successful being uh kind of a team that was put together versus having like this house rock band that plays christian music um and and i would agree with that i think that it's you know, 
speaking into the Church of God tradition of like camp meeting, like hiring somebody to come in to be the worship leader who's a worship pastor at a church somewhere. Like that's just I've I've led it situations like those and you know had really a great time over the years doing those. Like I, I led in Minnesota a couple of years ago. I led in Iowa. I led in um, uh, our district camp meeting here in Southwest Ohio. I've led you know for for various camps, uh, North Carolina. Uh, and it, it's like some of the most powerful times of worship that I've ever experienced back to the conversation about like some of these bigger churches, like, you know, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree as a creative arts guy, creative arts pastor that, you know, um, I'm a big Bethel fan and I'm a big elevation fan and I'm a big Jesus culture fan and crossroads here in Cincinnati. They put out music, put out their own music and it's on, you know, song select, um, but I will say that like when they put out albums, I don't like every single song and I'm not going to lead every single song that they do. You know what I mean? And so like, it's, you know, there may be a song or two. Um, it's no different than like Scott, your favorite band or my favorite band. Uh, when they release an album, there may be a song or two that, that are the singles that get played on the radio, but you know, you're not going to hear, the other 12 or the other 13 songs that are on that record. Um, the other thing that I will say, uh, I guess adjacent from this conversation is that song or churches, I'm sorry, like Bethel and Jesus culture and Hillsong and elevation, they're throwing records out every single year, right. With a minimum of 10 songs on them. Right. And they're, they're, um, they're writing, recording and releasing these albums every single year. So, I think part of the issue too is that churches can't keep up with the the amount of content that they're pumping out every year. So like if they, you know, one of the churches I used to work at, we tried to do two new songs every single month so that every year our catalog would have 30 new songs in it or, or you know, close to 30 new songs. And um, I feel like that's a big ask of, of the church, your worship team, et cetera. But if you don't do things like that and don't put those systems in place, like you're not going to keep up with, with the amount of stuff that's getting pumped out. Like mm -hmm. the, a friend of mine at work last week said, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant, right? Cause it's just in your face all the time. Um, back to like Stephen Furtick for a second. Like I do know that when they planted elevation church, you know, Stephen Furtick and his wife planted elevation, uh, in the early two thousands. And, uh, I think they just celebrated 20 years as a church. It must have been 2002, right? Uh, Stephen Furtick was a worship leader years ago. So like he he is very much into writing songs. He may not write every single song with Chris Brown and those guys, mm -hmm. but or Brandon Lake. But um I got I got so much to say about Brandon Lake. That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um <laughs> It's just yeah. like I want to know what church he leads worship at. Like he's at Bethel sometimes, he's at Elevation sometimes, he's he's actually on staff at another church sometimes. And I'm like, how are you on staff at a church if you're gone so much? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the same thing. Like, isn't like um Carrie Job, wasn't she? She like, was a gateway years ago. Yeah. So I mean, I think a lot of times you have people who are at a church, but then they have these touring schedules. Like I know mm -hmm. um Tomlin know did Steve, that years ago. Well, yeah, Tomlin did it. I know Crowder did it. 
Phil Wickham does that. He's on Phil staff Wickham. at a church in California. Um, but I think is, Phil Wickham is, has come out and said that he's a volunteer pastor at his church. He does because if he's on the road so much, he doesn't yeah. you know take money from that ministry. He's just I mean, there. I know even even so like Stephen Christian, who, you know, was the lead singer of Anne Berlin, like he had a worship album. He was leading worship at a church down in Florida and Arizona. And he mm. put out worship albums, but then it's like, okay, I'm traveling with Anne Berlin. So bye. Like like more of a Christian rock band. I'm like, oh, okay. So yeah, I think there's um and that's and I think to go back to I don't and I, I, I would agree with you that, you know, I think maybe there is a little bit of jealousy mm-hmm. and maybe or maybe people are just like, you know, there's so many new songs and, you know, depending on the type of church aesthetic. You know, and how and I guess it also depends on the worship leader, like if you have someone who's a trained worship leader, like like you who does this and is trained to do it. Then yeah, but I mean, if you have a volunteer at the church who's trying to do worship leader, goes oh, like I once had a lady who wanted to play songs from that she heard on a Christian radio, which some of them are like okay, yeah, but then there's some other ones I'm like this isn't a worship song. That's that's a whole other conversation. And that's too. a whole other conversation. Like what's a worship song? What's Christian music versus worship music? And yeah, you know, so, I have I have a lot of beef with <laughs> smaller churches, you know, professing that oh this this is so revolutionary contemporary when. Um, they just heard it on the radio, and yes, it may speak to you, and may speak to the church and the church that you're serving. However, it may not be the most worshipful thing. My dad, you know, my dad, like my dad and I butt heads on this all the time. He's like, "Oh, I heard this great Mercy Me song on the radio, and I think our church is going to do it." I'm like, "Dad, Mercy Me is a Christian artist, but every one of their songs are not worshipful. They're Christian yeah. music. And there's I think- a difference." And I think there's a difference between let's lead people in singing word of God speak or I can only imagine or I can only imagine versus someone doing it as a solo, like an off during the offertory or someone doing it before the sermon doing like a special, like, I don't care if you want to sing. um, I can only imagine before pastor preaches a sermon as a special song. I do have an issue. If you want that to be the Bennett, you know, the, the closing song of the service like that doesn't you know that's not a congregational led song um and i mean i get and i also get like people talking about theology like oh we want to have songs that have good theology but here's the thing you could have a song that has good theology but you could have a song that could touch somebody in that moment right now that not necessarily has a good theology but really it has a good message of you know god's love never failing even during the darkest times which you know it may not have like a thing about it may not have like a scriptural verse in it but it's just really a good message of saying hey life sucks things are bad at the same time God's always faithful and he's always there for you, even during the darkest times. Yeah, um, I, th- I think. Which that... I think, I think even, even isn't that kind of like the main message of oceans? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, yeah, people can like be it's, like, it's, oh. That's biblical, right? Like, but I mean, you're true. Walking upon the water, like, okay, like. I think but people purpose... can, but people can poo-poo on that song saying, oh, that's not theologically sound. I'm like, I walk upon the water. Like, no, like, no, no, no. You, you called me out on called the Called me upon the water. Yeah, like like that stuff like that. Like, okay, yeah, there's there's a scriptural reference right there. Um, 
And even now, like places like multi-tracks or like if you buy tracks, there's places now where you could go up there. And even if you like a song, some of them will even have a scriptural reference. So here's the scriptural reference of, you know, the main scriptural reference of how the song was written. And sometimes you can read the scripture. I'm going, OK, it may be a little bit of a stretch, but still it's like. If it if I know it fits with my message, and I'm speaking from a lead pastor position, if this song fits with my message, and it's gonna, and again, it's gonna move from worship to the word, or from the word to proclamation to moving out of worship to a charge to continue to, you know, reflect on the message and the worship that's going to sustain you throughout the week until we meet again, then. I'm I'm for that. I, I don't think we need to get so caught up on. I mean, I, I would go back to like if you're playing a song that's definitely not a worship song. It's just popular radio. Then, yeah, don't play that song in church. But if there's songs that you believe that, hey, this is going to be a good song. And it's something that, you know, I think that the audience or the audience, I'm sorry, the congregation is going to respond to and that they're going to sing to and participate in. I think that's the other thing too. Like if you're playing songs, like if I have a bunch of young people and I'm playing a mighty fortresses or God, and they have no clue what that is and they're not participating in it. It doesn't matter how deep the theology is. If my students are not participating, then, and it's not helping usher them to lower the defenses and allow the Holy spirit to do the work that it needs to do in their lives. Then I, then I, then I failed as a worship leader. Yeah, I'm trying not to get really fired up about this because it, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, it's 2022. Why are we still having this conversation? Yeah, did this die in the 90s? Um, no. When, uh, when when like you know, awesome when Rich Mullins did Awesome God and people are like, this is not part of the hymnal. <laughs> and now it is part of the hymnal. You could probably look at a hymnal now and you probably will find Awesome God in there by Rich Mullins, and you're just uh, like, how the heck? How the tables have turned. <laughs> Well, and my dad, like, I'm not trying to pick on my dad, but he know he and I have, you know, differences of worship and differences of opinions in worship, and uh, he will be the first to tell you we we need to sing our hymns. They're the the heritage of the Church of God, and they're the heritage of our faith. And I'm like, and it t- it teaches our doctrine. And I'm like, well, if you want to talk about theology, what is theology? Just what you believe and why, right? If you believe Jesus died, right, and Jesus rose again for our salvation. Um, th- there are tons of songs out there that proclaim that truth that aren't just in the Church of God hymnal, right? And so, you know, he and I, you know, it's it's this whole thing. But um, I, I think that you know times are changing too. Like I think that the the days of uh, just you know, I feel like churches are going to get left in the dust, right? We talked about it in last week's episode about live streaming and churches that are just stopping their live streaming in an effort to make people come back to church. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that approach is idiotic, right? And you know, people can come at me, bro, if they they disagree with me on that. But like, I think it's idiotic. I think it's foolish to mm-hmm. if you if if you got somebody sitting in a nursing home that physically cannot come to church and they want to watch that ministry online because they've given to that church and to that ministry for sixty years, then you should give them a platform. To watch it, right? Yeah, it's disrespectful to the heritage of the church and the ministry you serve. And if you think it's just and you're blaming yeah. it on COVID, then that's foolish too. Because 
people were streaming long before COVID ever started, right? And if it's an effort to bring people back to church, maybe you should do a hard you know, a hard evaluation on your ministry and your leadership style to get over yourself so that maybe, just maybe, you get on your face and pray to God and maybe somebody will come to church as a result of that. You should pray for their soul, not whether they want to come to church or watch it online. Like exactly. it, I, it's just, it, it, it boggles my mind that in 2022, we're having these conversations. Well, and I think, in, uh, and I'll, as a worship leader, it feeds me to watch other churches live streams. If I didn't have the technology like YouTube to watch Bethel church, I'm not going to do, I, I I've said it numerous times that I love Bethel church. Paul and Hannah McClure are probably my favorite worship leaders right now. They're worship leaders at Bethel church. They oversee the, uh, the Bethel school, the worship school there at Bethel church. And they're, they're some of the most anointed worship leaders. But if I didn't have the ability to stream them on YouTube every weekend, I wouldn't get to see them, right? And so like, I wouldn't be inspired to lead worship and do certain songs that I want to do in my own ministry if it wasn't for the ability to see them on a live stream. Because I physically can't fly to California every weekend and go see them lead worship at their church, yeah. right? I'm in Ohio. They're 3,000 miles away from me. Yeah, I just think it's absolutely foolish that we're having these conversations in 2022. And I'm gonna I'm gonna probably say something that I'm probably gonna get a lot of flack for, but I'm gonna say do what I just did. I just spent well, 15 minutes you know, on that. Well, here's the thing: I, to, to kind of build on to what you just said, I think the big thing is I, I, I when I, I just finished taking relational leadership for my doctorate, and I remember my professor said, you know, some people are thinking about now that before you can get like ordained as a pastor. You have to take a personality test. And really, it's just to see because one of the things they're finding is that you have a lot of these ministers and leaders who are very high on the narcissistic scale. They have big egos. Mm -hmm. And I think the big thing is, is and we can look at someone like a, a Joel Houston and go like, oh, yeah, look at or, or, or Carl Lentz and go, man, look at that guy's ego. That guy clearly was a narcissist. And I would say, yes, I agree. At the same time, if you're a pastor and you're blaming well, people aren't coming to church because they could just watch it from home. So we're going to cut our live stream. Or, or if you have that much of an ego where you're still picking to music and technology and COVID and our political situation in our world or whatever, you're pointing to other things saying this is the reason why people aren't coming to church. And you're not willing to self-examine yourself and go, you know, maybe the reason why people aren't coming to church is because I'm not – building those relationships with people. I just assume that, hey, you're just on the assumption that, well, people come to this church. And, and so when you have your regulars that have been coming for like 15 years and they just stop coming and you go, oh, well, it's because of COVID. Like, yeah, maybe, but maybe during COVID time, you were not reaching out to them. Like even at the beginning of COVID, March, April, like actually I think it was April. So COVID kind of, Every, at least everything shut down in Virginia in March. So about a month later, Barna put out a group and they were doing they were doing a survey of people. And one of the questions was, how many people from the church or leadership pastors have reached out to you? Has reached out to you during this pandemic to check up and see if you're okay? And it was less than twenty percent. Mm-hmm. And then you wonder so, why giving's down. Why why is giving down? Well, because you didn't. Why are people watching online, even if that's the only option that we have? And I know some people watch online because of sickness and like, I mean, I, I don't want to get too caught up, but like my first day yesterday, my first, technically it wasn't even an official day. I was just there, but I went to the nine o'clock service, which is like more of a, a book read. 
And there's a guy that came in. He's been watching service online. Hasn't really been to church since the pandemic start. He came to church wearing a mask. And I went to go talk to him because the lead pastor was starting service. So I went to go talk to him. I mean, his wife was given three to six months to live. Mm -hmm. And he's crying in my office. And I'm there and I'm praying him. I'm praying with him. I'm supporting him. I'm listening to his story. And I'm building that. And even like as far as like my notes of things to do today, my thing is to, is to follow up with him. Just mm -hmm. to give him a phone call, just say, hey, just want to check on you. How are you doing? And just kind of build that relationship. Well, and for me, <laughs> whether that guy comes back to church or he's just going to continue to be an online viewer mm -hmm. is not my concern. What I can control is I'm going to make an effort to build that relationship. The pastoral staff is going to be there to meet their needs during this difficult time. And if that leads to... An increase in tithing, if it leads to them coming to in-person church, that's not the point of it. The point of that is someone is hurting and they need a, the church to pray for them, to support them, and help them through this tough period in that family's life. Yeah. So so two things, right? And, and I'm not making this about me, but like my mother who passed away a year ago was in a nursing home and was bedridden for nine years. The only way that she could go to church was to watch it online. Right. I don't want to beat this dead horse, but that that's just right. There are people that can't physically come to a location and it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's so disheartening to, to think that that's the, the situation. And then back to the other, I went to, you know, we're both church of God guys. I went to our, um, Camp meeting, Southwest Ohio District meeting. This was like two or three years ago when I was leading worship. Uh, it had to be two years ago. It was two years ago. Um, and the guy got up and spoke. The guy that was speaking that night got up and he he was like, he was one of the ones that said, oh, we shut down our live stream because we want people to come back to church and we need people to come back to church. And people applauded that. People stood up and applauded that. And I was just sitting back there in the back of the the venue and I was just shaking my head. I was like, is this really what Jesus would want? Like, mm -hmm. is this really what um, we're called to do? Like, yes, we're called to make disciple disciples. And then thirdly, I, I know I said two, but thirdly, I guess I'm preaching a sermon, three points, right? <laughs> the, the third point is I was sitting in a staff meeting right after COVID started to your point about calling somebody and following up with somebody. A good friend of mine, uh, Ben Higgins is, uh, he was a pastor in a church in Missouri and he said, when COVID happened, they just, they printed out a spreadsheet of literally everybody that goes to their church and that had went to their church in the last three to five years. And they divided the spreadsheet up into like three people, like, cause they only had like a pastor, a lead pastor, worshiping youth pastor, and like an office manager and children's director or something like that, a really small staff situation. And we're like, you're taking apart, you're taking apart, you're taking apart, you're taking apart, and you're all going to make phone calls to all these people in the churches or in the church, in your church. And because they did that, Scott, they said that giving never missed a beat, online attendance never missed a beat, um, and they made a they made a purpose of calling those people on a weekly basis just to see how they were doing during that difficult time. And I think it just takes the place of giving or not giving, sorry, it takes the place of visiting, right? Like because instead of like physically going to a location, you can you know call somebody and see how they're doing. Like it, it kind of serves that same purpose. So. Um, yeah, it, it, it kind of goes back to, this is kind of a part two of the, um, 
you know, the 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 podcast we did last week. And, you know, we talked about the importance of reaching people in different ways. And there are just so many ways you can do that and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ other than just physically being in that location on Sunday mornings. Right. And so like yeah. that, you can spread the gospel, Jesus, but the gospel of Jesus through a phone call, through a text message, through a digital presence. And it's just, it, it's baffling to me. I keep saying that over and over mm-hmm. again. Like it's just crazy in 2022 that we're having this conversation with some churches. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Micah, this has been a very good topic. And I think kind of the gist of kind of what we're saying is it's not necessarily the type of music we're playing or whose music we're playing, you know, if that's going to cause a ripple effect in the church or it's going to cause us to lead people astray, really it's about the leadership and are you loving your people and are you providing ways for them to connect to church, both physically, digitally, are you able to meet people's needs through song? And again, it doesn't have to be your traditional heritage songs. It could be anything that helps lead people to the cross of Christ. Whatever, if it's a hill song, if it's a hill song, song that does that, praise be to God. If it's a song written by Martin Luther, praise be to God. That's it. Well, God, I, I oh, want to say ahead. really quick that, like, I, as a worship leader, there are moments where I I will sing a hymn. I have no issue with old old songs, and yeah. if the moment's right and the spirit's moving, I'm going to sing nothing but the blood, or I'm going to sing, you know. Uh, all hail the power of Jesus name or, you know, like if the spirit's really moving in that moment and like you have that moment where it's kind of like free and it's, you feel like the spirit's moving in that moment of worship. Like it, it's kind of crucial to sing a song that everybody knows. Right. Because if, if you're having that impactful moment, that prayerful moment, the moment where things are, you know, going really well, Holy spirit wise in your service, then there's, I'm just saying, all I'm trying to say is that like, it's just, I'm not opposed to all different types of music in in the worship setting, but like, I I don't think we can limit ourselves or should limit ourselves to one or the other. So go ahead, Scott. No, no, I was just about to wrap up this episode, but guys, you're getting me fired up today. I know I'm Yeah. And I, we, I, I I pitched to Michael, Oh, there's a topic that we could talk about, but I don't know if I want to, because I will be getting fired up. So I'm glad it wasn't that one. (laughs) Maybe we'll do that next week, but guys, thank you so much for listening. And we want to know, like, have you been struggling with this issue of what songs can and can I play that in in a worship service? Are you kind of being bullied by these, um, I don't want to necessarily say our our my our mutual friends bullying people, but are you hearing like soothsayers or messengers saying, "Don't play this type of music from these type of people because you're sponsored by the"? We want to know your experiences. We want to know kind of some of the struggles you're having with worship. You know, feel free to comment, um, email us. You can go to my website, thescottsemon.com. Send me an email there. We definitely will try to help you guys as best as we can. But guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a re- good rest of your weekend and a great rest start to you next week. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Take care.